our way through the early part uh, of Luke's Gospel, um, leading up to the birth of Christ, which we'll be looking at in our Christmas Day service, um, which is here on Christmas Day, which is Saturday at 9am, so um, an hour earlier than normal. And yes, we still do have a normal Sunday service uh, the following day at the normal time of 10 o'clock. So let's come before the Lord in prayer that he might uh, speak to us through his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often our minds get so distracted with the things of the week, the things that need to be done, that Lord, we, we are a people who are to be defined as being made in the image of God, designed to be in a relationship with him, made possible only through the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, as we reflect upon the, the events leading up to his birth, we give you praise and thanks that you have come to us to be our redeemer, to be our rescuer. Without you, we were entirely without hope of being restored back to you. And we're by nature, as your word says, children deserving of wrath. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look to the wonderful events surrounding the birth of your son, that we might learn something more about who you are and give thanks for your wonderful provision, that we might indeed proclaim a season of hope, joy and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2021, we've seen more statistics probably than we've seen in any other year, particularly when it comes to COVID cases, vaccination rates and all those things which are all completely probably over by now. But I haven't seen a great deal of statistics around mental health, hope, anxiety. I would imagine probably over these last couple of years they've been on um, quite a significant increase. But when you turn on the news, particularly when you look at the opening stories, there's probably not a lot that you see that you think that lends a lot of weight to hope, joy and peace. Yet you go down to the Christmas Wonderland and every single year, because there's not a great deal of change in the displays at the Christmas Wonderland, sorry to let you on the secret, but you still get free ice creams if you're a kid. But there's one display that's always there, it's got hope, joy and peace. And some people probably look at that and think, wouldn't that be nice if that was reality? I think they're not really words that people associate commonly with 2021 or 2020. But they are words that should be and can be associated with any given year, regardless of what's going on. Because the true message of Christmas is a message that brings about guaranteed joy, hope and peace. That is not shaken by world events or circumstances. And unlike the commercial Christmas, which is a one day a year, it is a hope, joy and peace that is 24-7, 365 days a year, or N plus 66 in a leap year, every single year. But even someone who's never been to church, probably just by going to shopping centres or looking at lights, at some point they've encountered a nativity scene and realised there's something to do with, with, with the birth of a child named Jesus. 
Last week we saw how some 700 years before he was born, it was prophesied that he would be born, that he'd be born of a virgin. But there was also another child who was born just a little bit before Jesus, whom the Old Testament scriptures also foretold, who was John the Baptist. Now if we go back to a little bit further than what we actually looked at so far in our series, back to verses 5 to 25, we see the time when the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest and he was doing his priestly service and the angel Gabriel came to tell him that the Lord has heard his prayers. His wife, who was old and who was barren, was going to have a son and you were to call his name John. Now initially, Zechariah did probably what most of us would do. Think, my wife's barren and she's really old and has a few questions, has a bit of doubt. We read in verses 18 to 20, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall, how shall I know this? Well, maybe because an angel from God told you, but anyway. For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day which these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah didn't believe the word which came from God, and he was unable to speak for nine months. I'd imagine during that nine months he had a lot to ponder. As he was told that this son, that his wife, who was old and barren, was going to have, not only that she's going to have a child, but he is going to be the one who points the people's hearts back to God. He is the one who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's the one who's going to make the people prepared for the Lord. Last week we saw that this baby, John the Baptist, still while in the womb, leapt for joy at being in the presence of Jesus inside the womb of Mary. I didn't put that in. So as we work our way through the passage, we're going to look at the blessing of belief, the blessing of certainty, the blessing of salvation, and conclude with peace, joy and hope through believing. Firstly, the blessing of belief. So here's the setting. We're on the eighth day, which the day, according to the law in Leviticus 12.3, was not only the day in which a male would be circumcised, but was also the name in which the name would be given. Now the ESV that we had up there says, and they would have named him Zechariah. In the Greek, there's no would have. It just says, they named him Zechariah, meaning those who were there, all of the relatives, they decided this child is going to be called Zechariah. Big Zech, little Zech, that's the way it was going to be. They've decided it. That's how it's all planned out. But Elizabeth is the one who stands up and says, no, not having it, not going to happen. His name will be John. It's the name that was given by the angel Gabriel back in verse 13 to Zechariah. Now that was a bit of a shocker for everyone there. Because in that era, you did not name your child 
a name that wasn't part of your family history. They didn't have surnames, so you would pass on the name as a way of saying you are carrying on in the, this family's tradition. You belong to, to Big Zek. And you see that everyone's shocked. They're asking, like, why would you call him that? You haven't got a single relative called John. How is that going to bear anything by way of the ongoing witness and, and the legacy of, of your family's name? Well, there's two reasons why they called him John. One, out of faithful obedience. The word of God has come and says, this child is to be named John. You name him John. Zechariah certainly seen the consequences of, of not listening to God. He's, he's been silent, no doubt doing charades, writing lots and lots of things down he had to tell, tell his wife Elizabeth about. But secondly, this child's identity and its mission wasn't going to be defined by who his mum and dad was. This child's identity and mission was defined by who God had sent him to be as the forerunner for the Lord Jesus He is the one who prepares the people for the Lord. He is the one when he grows up and he sees Jesus with his own eyes for the first time, says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Zechariah had a lot of time to process everything Gabriel had told him. I imagine his writing pad had got a whole lot of work as he tried to communicate with everyone that he could about what he had heard from God through the angel Gabriel. But because it was so uncertain, everyone looks to him and they think, no, Elizabeth, you, you've, lost, you've lost your plot. You, you said this thing. They look to Zechariah, who asked for his pad that's had a good thorough flogging, and he writes on it, his name is John. And immediately he could speak again. And immediately he blessed God. Do you notice that? When he starts to speak, he doesn't say, oh, about time, God, I can't believe you did that to me. He immediately blessed God. He probably thought, yeah, fair call. I didn't trust you at your word. And I think as a general principle, it's fair to say that when we are not fully trusting God, the words that we speak will not be profitable and we probably would be better being silent. But as he demonstrated his faith and belief in the word which God had spoken unreservedly, he opened his mouth and he blessed God. It's sad sometimes when people go through hardship and they blame God. They get angry with God and sometimes they even turn from God. And effectively, there is no more hopeless situation to be than to be in the middle of despair and then turn your back on the only source of hope that there is. Even in 2021, we can know hope in the middle of despair. Those who heard and saw Zechariah, they were in awe. They recognised, who's this kid going to be? God's clearly behind this. What's this kid going to grow up to do? 
How's God going to use him? They didn't know what, but they recognised God was doing something and immediately their hope was stirred. Zechariah, when he didn't trust God, was unable to speak. We we too will speak unprofitable words when we do not take God at his word and trust him wholeheartedly. There is blessing in belief. It's not a new concept. You go back to Abraham, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And as John writes in his opening chapters, but to all who did receive him, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The truth that Jesus Christ has come into this world to save us is a truth that demands and calls for belief. And in believing there is forgiveness, there is life, there is hope, there is blessing, there is peace. But there is also the blessing of certainty. My tablet's... Thank you very much, Miss Google. I shall turn you down. The blessing of certainty. Now, we are by nature a questioning people. That's it's only fair, especially when we're hearing from other people, that we, that we question, see if there's something valid about what they're saying. Imagine if you believed every single thing that a person told you or every single thing that you read on social media. It'd be a bit of a mess, wouldn't it? You'd make many poor choices. I remember testing some of these things as a child. Remember the old saying, ants in your pants makes your belly button dance? I was a bit of a show-off kid. Doesn't work, and they bite. (laughs) If something's got merit, it will stand up to questioning. Because God is the ruler of the universe, he's got a plan for it, start to finish. Centering on the Lord Jesus, and he can speak about the future in a way which is spoken of in certainty. Because if he's got all rule all power, all authority. Nothing can stand in the way of his purposes. Therefore, when Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy, even before Jesus was born, he says words like this, Blessed be the Lord of God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. It's not he will or he might, he has. Even though they are yet to transpire because the Lord is not hindered in anything he sets out to achieve, they can be spoken as being complete because they are so certain and they cannot be hindered in any way. There is no maybe with God. Maybe is a term which belongs to the finite. Maybe is something you say when you acknowledge there are sources outside of yourself that are beyond your control that could stand in the way. Yet God's word and all of his promises 
are guaranteed. This is the God who says in Isaiah 46, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times to things not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. Even though John, sorry, Zechariah has just seen the birth of his son John, he knows and he speaks and he prophesies that John will only serve to point to one greater than him. The one who is the horn of salvation from the house of David, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. The one who will save from our enemies, not our political enemies, not our haters on social media. You and me, our biggest enemies, are the things which keep us from God. And the grandest of those enemies is the power of Satan and the power of sin. He has come to save us from all things that hinder us in reaching out to God. Jesus came to pay the price on the cross to bring us to God. And even before Jesus was born into this world, it was set in scene that he would be the one who reconciles us to God. Through his shed blood on the cross, the guaranteed salvation for all who had placed their trust in him. So all of his promises... Promises of forgiveness, reconciliation, adoption of sons, being transformed into holiness. The promise of going to be with him for eternity where there will be no death, pain, sickness, but just all of his blessings forever are certain as the day in which they were spoken. And we enter into those blessings by faith and believing and we are assured by the fact that all he says is certain. Now, as Zechariah continued prophesying, he speaks more of this salvation. Going back to the promises made to Abraham that through his offspring would all nations be blessed. Which Galatians tells us is not just all of the genetic offspring from Abraham, but one offspring, a particular offspring. Jesus Christ would be the one through whom all nations would be blessed, through whom all nations would call upon for the forgiveness of their sins. But John the Baptist, Zechariah's little boy, would be the one who would prepare the people for him. Or as part of Zechariah's prophet said, he is the one who will give them knowledge of salvation. And how did he bring to people the knowledge of salvation? John the Baptist had a ministry preaching about people's sin and repentance. His opening words were repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Some predict as many as 300,000 people went out to hear John and to be baptised. That's a lot. 
And it wasn't because he put on a great show with lights and a smoke machine and a fantastic band. He, he said it as plain and simply as he could. You need to repent of your sins. He didn't sugarcoat it in any way whatsoever. Like when the Pharisees came out, he says, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the coming wrath? He gave them directions. For these who, who have stolen, you, you, you need to give back. If you're doing this, you need to do that. He says, you need to repent, not just in, in terms of an attitude, you need to change the way in which you live. He didn't mince his words, he said it directly. Yet people heard it, they were convicted of their sin, and they were baptised. He even dressed himself like Elijah did beforehand. Elijah had a ministry where he called the whole nation of Israel back to repentance, back to God. And Zechariah describes these ministry of sin and repentance as bringing knowledge of salvation. Why? Because without an understanding that we're sinners, without an understanding that we need to repent, there is zero need for a sin saviour. I know it's not a popular topic. You're probably like me. You like to be liked. You don't want to say something that might upset somebody. You don't want to say something that might offend somebody. But if you truly love somebody, would you withhold an essential truth that makes known the way to salvation? That would be like a doctor knowing your medical diagnosis and keeping it a secret because they didn't want to upset you. I'm sure, I don't know, the rules about doctors. Uh, I, mind, I can't see one in here. Oh, actually, we don't have one in here this morning that I can ask. Whether or not that's considered criminal neglect or not to, to know someone's diagnosis and keep it a secret, I'd imagine it potentially could be. But if I had something wrong with me, I'd like my doctor to tell me straight and simple so that I could turn to the thing, to the cure, the treatment, to that diagnosis. But unlike medical, you don't think, oh, why me? When God says, you have sinned, you haven't given me the honour and thanks to which I am worthy, you don't think, oh, I'm the only one. You go, oh, good, we're all in this together. You go, there's good use of that phrase for the first time. It's a universal problem. It's not just a you problem. It's a universal human problem. But he doesn't end with the uncomfortable diagnosis. So we look at some of the closing words of his prophecy. He says, To give knowledge of salvation to his people through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The one to whom we've dishonoured, the one whom we've offended, comes to show tender mercy. Jesus came to us to stand in our place, to even bear our likeness and surrender to the humanity as well as being fully God, to be our substitute, to bear our punishment, to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, that we might go from being 
guilty enemies to having been children who were at peace with God, adopted as his sons. Like Zechariah, we can rejoice in the coming of John because John's ministry was the bringing to awareness the depth of our sin, the depth of our need to a saviour, depth of our need for a saviour which called us to see the wonderful good news that Jesus Christ come to us could be. Jesus was the means by which we were saved on the cross by his resurrection and he was now seated at the right hand of the Father. We've seen that there is blessing in believing, not just believing in ideas about him, but placing your trust in him. John's gospel in particular repeats so often the necessity of belief. Jesus himself saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Because the one in whom we believe has been raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand and has all power and all authority, we can have absolute certainty in all of his promises, both for this life and for the age to come. We can have certainty that his salvation, that he offers forgiveness, full, free, complete and perfect. We can have certainty and hope knowing that who the whole world belongs to and who rules this world. And who will one day return to restore it all. And also we can have certainty and joy. As the psalmist says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hands, there is pleasures forevermore. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, we can call upon you as our Father. Not because we've been able to be good enough, because we haven't. And we thank you that you have enabled us to be able to recognise that we weren't good enough, that we would see the diagnosis in order that we might appreciate the cure and the certain cure that is in Jesus. That is not only a cure that sets us free from the consequences of our sin, but gives us a certainty in everything that you have declared and made known, gives us the certainty of your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, gives us the certainty of your transforming work within us to make us from one glory to another and the certainty of one day seeing you face to face to know you to the extent to which we've been fully known. And Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us. We thank you for your tender mercy. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.